Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Geek Rant, episode 287. Following the teachers out the door. It's a really long title. Should have probably cut that down, but I'm going with it. Recorded May 28th, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Dot com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only place on the internet where geeks rant. I'm your host, Mark, sometimes called the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach. And joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, co-hosts Seth, Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Janeer Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and howdy doody to all the faithful opiates. We love y'alls. Summer ranting at its best. Apparently, my tongue is already on vacation. Um, tomorrow is the day off, but my mouth has chosen to do it tonight, so uh, I'll be uh, stammering a lot tonight. Oh, well, we'll go with it. So uh, this is Memorial Day weekend in the U.S. Um, other countries do it other days, but here in the U.S., it's Memorial Day where we remember our honored dead, those who gave their lives uh, in battle. It's not Veterans Day. You don't walk up to somebody who's currently active or uh, serving or has served and say thank you for your service. That's Veterans Day. That's in November. Memorial Day is the day we rem- remember those who, as President Lincoln put it, gave the last full measure of devotion and are no longer with us. And also remember those they left behind. This this day is for them too. So uh, having said that, um, I'm uh, fulfilling the uh, American tradition of barbecuing. On Memorial Day last year, I participated in the great American tradition of buying an appliance on Memorial Day. This year, I'm choosing to to throw a barbecue. I'm having about 30 people over tomorrow. It kind of got out of hand. Um, started inviting Man. people, and then people were like, "Well, no, I can't come." Okay, so we'll invite somebody else, and then the other people. Oh, well, it turns out I can come. Um, so my decks are going to be full, and and I, honestly, that's how I like it. I, the more, the merrier. Uh, I I currently have uh, both a brisket and a pork shoulder. Uh, preparing to smoke. I haven't put them on yet. I will right after this show and let them go about uh, 20 hours or so, and then uh, we'll eat them tomorrow. So that's my plan. What about you guys? I am going to get my flat tire taken care of. I have a, I, I, I started to go to church this morning and I had a tire light on, couldn't find anything wrong. So I, I was close enough to the house. I drove back, wheeled out the air compressor, plugged in, let it charge, all that. And then so when I'm leaving the house to come up to the church to record tonight, I looked and I was like, oh, that's why there's this nail stuck in my tire. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't have time to fix it now. So it better maintain this super slow leak at least until I get home tonight so I can put more air in. And then, of course, Walmart's open all the time and I'll get it either patched or plugged there. But I'll probably have to buy a new tire because it's so close to the edge. Yay, Memorial Day. Yeah, no, for, for me here, this is my one day of the year, May 28th, that is the epic motorsport fiesta of the year. And we've just finished watching the great races of the Monaco Formula One Grand Prix and the Indy 500. And I am dressed in my appropriate, you know, Penske attire. And I've had uh, a good old time with some friends and we've been barbecuing today. So you're looking at post motorsport miles right now. <laughs> well, did we pull you away from the festivities early? I know it's early afternoon for you still. No, I, here's the cool thing. I just finished. We, we had to. I pre. Well, I kind of pre-recorded the Indy 500, and 15 minutes before I sat down here to record with you, lovely people, I watched the race and watched the winner. And I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. So you go and watch it and work it out for yourself. But it was epic. 
That's all I can say. <laughs> cool. So how could you pre-record? How, how could it be a spoiler when it's going to come out three days from now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just don't want to be the guilty person who told you who won. I understand. So. <laughs> We're, the whole culture is uh, super sensitive to spoilers these days. Right. Um, uh, I just wanted to uh, very quickly uh, comment. I, I, I made some comment a while back. Uh, in fact, I have repeatedly about uh, the fact that I do this podcast mostly on Windows because the Linux tools aren't as good as the Windows tools. And every time I do that, I hear from the Linux enthusiasts who say, well, Jupiter Broadcasting, well, this. Yeah, I didn't say it was impossible. I said it's harder. The tools aren't as good. It takes more time, more effort, and and more equipment I mean, I've done this. I've experimented. I did. I did the show um, on Linux for uh, a while, early back in the early days, even before there was an everyday Linux. I ran the whole show on uh, on Linux. Um, it's just easier on Windows. So don't don't send me examples. I don't want to tour somebody's facilities and learn the 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 secrets. I know how to do it, and it's harder. And and it's just there's a, a wider breadth of tools on Windows, and I'm okay with that. I don't have to. To be a Linux zealot all the time. I like Linux. Linux is my daily driver on my laptop. I use it all day, every day. But, you know, for the podcast, I use Windows. And you're just going to have to be okay with that. Co-host note, reminder, Mark sold out his geek cred credentials <laughs> a long time ago when he went from sysadmin to worker for the man. Back to you, Mark. <laughs> hey, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll stand up for you, Mark. Here's the thing. Um, if you're a creator of audio, like, you know, musician or a radio person or somebody, you're the, quote, talent. You shouldn't have to be dealing with all the technical crap. And unfortunately, Linux is full of technical crap. So if you want to go in there and be a technical crapologist, then there is your direction, but I guarantee you'll suffer in your talent. <laughs> Flame on. <laughs> all right. So that's all I have to say about that, as, uh, as Forrest Gump would say. Um, there was something else I was going to mention. I've completely forgotten what it was. So clearly it was very important. Uh, Miles, uh, I'm sorry, Seth, you have discovered an author that my grandfather used to absolutely love. Well, it's not so much discovered, but, um, I've recently, I read a couple of his books this week because I needed a break from the, the drama that I was involved in. But, and I, you know, I read his name all the time, but I never hear it pronounced. So I had to go to a website and it is, it is Louis Lemur, uh, according to book browse, but I always called him Louis Lemur because, you know, I just read it and he's French and, you know, I hate names, but he is a prolific western writer he writes awesome stories except it's like he spent it's a good story until it gets to the climax and then it's over you know there isn't any kind of winding down or, or one chapter to kind of summarize the book you get like one page to summarize the book that's the only drawback but he does such a great job of you know action and moving the story forward and keeping it involved and he spent basically most all of his adult life researching this and so while a lot of his books are fiction there are tons of real life true american his history of the old west woven in and out of his books and i just i enjoy reading them they're short you um you know three four hours to read um just a great writer um, my kind of stuff i we have hundreds of his books at home i enjoy reading them 
immensely. So if you like Westerns, you would, um, you know, you've probably already heard of him. I don't know if it would be up your alley, Mark, but um, I thoroughly enjoy his books. All right. I, I'm, I enjoy a good Western uh, yarn from time to time. Like I said, my I grew up with uh, Louis L'Amour, L'Amour. Uh, more uh whatever um because my grandfather enjoyed him and he would go he was one of those prototypical uh you know geeks back before that was a word for people um and he would go every saturday to the uh the used bookstore and buy 10 or 12 uh paperbacks louis moore was one of his favorites uh and then he'd go back the next saturday and sell those and, and buy more and, and it was just that was what he did you know and uh we, today we call those people bookworms uh, you know i just called him granddaddy um so I, I have seen the covers of thousands, probably, of Lou and more books, but I've never actually bothered to open it or read any of it. Oh, did, he write, I, well, did he write all his own books, or was there like a ghostwriter? Because it seems like this guy wrote more books than Terry Pratchett. No, he wrote his books. As a matter of fact, he even wrote some under a pen name. Now, when he was getting started, a lot of his books were like serials in magazines that were later compiled and published as a book. But he was he is a prolific writer. I mean, wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote some more. I think he wrote even after he was dead. He wrote so much. Well, you know, the, there's been rumors for years now about the uh, 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 final book by Douglas Adams that his wife is compiling out of his notes that's going to be published posthumously. He's been dead now for almost 20 years, and, and that that story has been going around since about a week after his death. Um, you know, apparently, that is a thing that happens, but so far, not yet. Yeah, and there, like in the science fiction world, there was this guy who was writing a series, and he died before, I think there was like two, maybe three books left in it, but, you know, people who do those universes, they have these extensive, like, notebooks of, like, the series Bible, and he knew he was, he was in the process of dying, and so he got another writer to step in and finish and that writer kind of remarked you know because he was trying to be faithful to the other guy's writing style and so it was hard but he already had like basically the outline and he was just trying to fill out so you know but yeah it's kind of a you know part of it is they didn't quite get finished and part of it is their estate says hey we can we can cash out if we find some notes he scribbled somewhere right so i uh i have started three books in my lifetime never finished one i've started them i have a problem finishing just in general i started one so i of course i didn't finish yet (laughs) one of mine was um it was a it was a it was going to be a dave barry type book and it was called the rules and and it was about the uh the unknown the unspoken but all-known rules that all societies follow particularly you know an american society for example you pass a car um on the side of the road parked parallel to the road somebody's parked there that same car parked perpendicular to the road it's for sale everybody knows this nobody says this but we all know if you want to sell your car your car you park it perpendicular to the road don't know why you just do you know and there are just certain rules of society like that that um that i have noticed over the years and i started taking notes and and started uh, uh writing a book and then didn't finish maybe someday someday you know, there's all kinds of men's rooms, men's rooms rules, ladies. You you wouldn't know this, but there really are. 
Like, for example, you're not allowed to speak once you go in there. It's a, it's a monastic vow of silence that happens the moment you enter the room. And the guy that violates it, everybody knows that guy and hates that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess you don't want to talk about your trip to San Francisco, Miles, since you just deleted it. So I won't mention San Francisco. There's <laughs> not much to it. I was in San Francisco. That's about it. You know. Did you do any touristy stuff while you were there? Nope. Worked, worked, worked. Okay. Sorry. Well, you know, no animosity there. <laughs> I've done the touristy stuff in San Francisco once, uh, Pier 39, Fisherman's Wharf, uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Good chowder. Yeah, good chowder. Um, that's all I can say about that. I don't really remember much <laughs> about it at all. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the craziness going on in the world of alternative uh, currencies. Uh, those of you who are tired of Bitcoin talk, go ahead and skip forward about 10 minutes, I'm guessing. Uh, but <laughs> well, there's been some new developments. It. Yeah, we haven't spoken about bit, 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 sorry, we haven't spoken about Bitcoin for a while, probably because we spoke about it too much before. It's guilty, right. sorry. So anyway, a lot's happened since we last left this uh, space. The biggest thing is that um, it got really, really slow and really expensive to do Bitcoin transactions, and uh, the reason is that uh, Bitcoin is pretty much monopolized by one company out of China called Bitmain that makes the majority 93% market share of all mining hardware. And the problem with the mining hardware they built was that they built in a whole bunch of little, um, shall we say, uh, tweaks in there that only they can use that gives them a competitive advantage and makes them hundreds of millions of dollars a month to process Bitcoin transactions. So we've been um, sort of stuck in the situation where the Bitcoin community wanted to do some improvements. And these guys said no, uh, because that would break their $150 million a month uh, income stream. And so we've been sitting around yelling at each other for the last year or so. Well, Eventually, you know, there was a threat that the Bitcoin community would go and rage quit and go off and do their own thing. And, of course, that was a threat and it didn't really happen. Uh, meanwhile, Bitcoin kept going up and up and up and up and up in value because more people onboarded and, uh, you know, thing got bigger and whatever. Um, but there's this thing which came out this week that is uh, important. And so I think worthy of some consideration, there's a thing called BIP 148. Now, BIP is a Bitcoin internet protocol. It's like, kind of like an RFC for cryptocurrencies. And uh, what 148 does is it basically introduces a what they call a user, uh, user access soft fork. User, it's a user-enacted soft fork where the user community en masse basically say, we don't care about you miners. We're going to do things our way, and this is how we're going to do things. And they take the existing Bitcoin. They don't change it, but they kind of mod it with these patches that kind of improve it. And what they eventually do is they introduce uh, other kind of side chains that speed it up and make it better. And in, in doing so, breaks the code in the Bitmain world that gives them this competitive advantage. Basically, they hit the reset button on Bitcoin, started all over again. The reason why this is important is that if you have Bitcoin in a uh, exchange or a wallet, an online wallet for the most part, you better contact your exchange and wallet provider to verify that they support Bit148. If they do not, it's scheduled to go into effect on August the 1st. If they do not, 
you will probably lose all your Bitcoins. And that's not a threat or not an overstatement. That is mathematical fact. Bit 148 changes the protocol. If you have your Bitcoins in an exchange or a wallet that supports it, when it gets interacted, you are somewhat protected. Uh, you are protected. And if you don't, bye-bye Bitcoin. So it's important and people should realize it. And somehow this doesn't get much press. So clearly the big guys like Coinbase, for example, have it in their best interest to rewrite uh, their code because uh, they could literally lose their entire business over this. So I, I feel fairly confident that this is going to be another sort of Y2K situation. It'll be much ado about very little. Uh, we, we would hope so, yeah. We would hope so. And, and there is plenty of time between now and then. However, Coinbase have not publicly come forward and stated they'll be supporting Bit148. Um, the other big player, which is also not stated, in fact, almost has said they won't, is BitPay, which is the largest merchant processor for Bitcoin. The problem with merchant processing for Bitcoin is it doesn't work because it takes too long and it costs too much because of these bit miners. So um, they haven't really got much of a standing anymore in the, in the world because we're not using Bitcoin for remittance. Uh, we we may, after this is enacted, it should make things faster, cheaper, and stronger, and and a lovely future going forward and, you know, unicorns and rainbows. But uh, until then, just get your, get your Bitcoin into a wallet that supports 148. Um, I use Ledger wallets myself. They're cold storage. They're little devices. Um, you can get them on Amazon. Uh, and uh, you can move your Bitcoin into them and then you hold your own private keys and you will never be a slave to any of this. And, yes, they're publicly supporting 148. So... That would be my recommendation. But I, I just put the word out as a kind of a public service announcement here in the world of Bitcoin that some big changes are underway. It's all good for the future. We'll see a rosy future going forward, but don't become a casualty in this whole thing and control your money, people. There you go. It's your money, even if it's digital. Treat it like your money. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to some listener feedback, some mini rants, uh, because we have a couple and we haven't in a while. Christopher offers us a little bit of nerd cred. He says, did you just mention time tracks on the last episode of Geek Rant? I remember that show fondly. Yes, Selma, the self-encapsulated limitless memory archive, was another incarnation of an interactive database that we all look for. The C-3PO R2-D2, uh, the Jetsons uh, Rosie, the Richie Rich Irona, the Knight Rider Kit, and and so on. There's an old saying that necessity is, is the mother of invention, but necessity's close cousin is convenience and lends a lot of power, freeing up our minds for the more abstract thinking and laziness. Uh, then again, the philosophical deep thinker in me asks why it is that we create these symbols in the stories we write. What do these symbols represent? Our continual drive to do greater things with uh, less effort. Uh, thanks for the show and the entertainment and the undercarriage of information. Much respect, Christopher. Uh, yes, Christopher, I couldn't come up with the name of the show at the time but uh time tracks and selma was exactly what i was thinking of but kudos to you or wikipedia uh for knowing that it meant self-encapsulated limitless memory archive nicely done uh, i remembered that it was credit card sized and it came in, it turned into a hot girl no his was like the uh older british librarian his partner person hers was the hot bimbo blonde or his was the hot bimbo blonde okay so trust uh, me 
<laughs> that was a solid show, Time Tracks. It really was. Uh, I loved it. Late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it, it, it's very dated when you watch it. it. It has that you know era feel about it. But it was a solid sci-fi show. Uh, probably available streaming somewhere. Yep. I, it was a great show. I really, really enjoyed Time Tracks. I, I, I liked it a lot. But what, that is an interesting uh, point that Christopher raises is uh, throughout history, uh, hum- humans have fantasized about this artificial assistant. And uh, universally, it's not an automaton. It's a personality. Um, we, don't, we don't want something to do our bidding uh, silently or mindlessly. We want a, an artificial persona. Um, and that's that's an interesting thing I had never really considered before. You know, well, also part of it is that's kind of what makes it the sci-fi is that that's something that doesn't exist today. And so that's a way to set it apart as science fiction is you take the sidekick partner and you make them electronic in some way because if it was just another person then you know it's just a buddy cop show but because one of the persons is the self-encapsulated limitless memory archive then it's a science fiction cop show yeah okay uh and maybe and for some reason uh it's it's very common in those worlds for the for the sci-fi assistant cohort sidekick whatever you want to call it to not always be blindly obedient um you know to to have a smart mouth to to uh, act on your own a little bit that's a common theme throughout stories as well which i find interesting if you're going to create an automaton why wouldn't you make one blindly obedient but you know uh, that's that's just not i guess maybe it's uh, the difference between drama and reality in that uh, it doesn't make a good story but i kind of think in reality we're going to want a little bit of a, of a smart mouth on our machines, too. Well, conflict is what makes the story. If, if everybody gets along all the time, I don't want to invest, you know, <laughs> a whole day of my life binge watching the series. You know, if it's like, yes, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, 48.725%, sir. I'm just like, what's the point in that, you know? So... Yeah, have I'm a sorry, conflict. Dave. I can't do that. Right. In uh, a, a book I've mentioned recently, uh, you really gotta. If you haven't checked it out, you owe it to yourself to check out the um, uh, "We Are Legion, We Are Bob" uh, and the uh, sequel for "We Are Many," part of the Bobiverse uh, series. I've read the first two, uh, and I'm anxiously awaiting the third one. But there's a character, a sidekick in there called Guppy. Um, and it, that's an acronym. I forget what it's for, but the guy chooses to make Guppy look like Admiral Akbar um, from Star Wars, and and he has no personality. And that's one of the themes throughout the book is, you know, um, we wish Guppy had some personality because all he does is state the facts, you know, um, in that you know uh, Admiral Akbar voice um, with fishy eyes. <laughs> uh, but it, I, I hadn't really thought about that until Christopher brought this up. Is um, in the book, you know, it's it's not a it's not something they talk about a lot, but it is a common sort of undercurrent in the book that that's what's missing from your digital sidekick is personality. Um, it doesn't matter that it can do everything you need it to do. We we humans seem to need that uh, humanity, uh, that feel of it anyway. Yeah, and you know, even even if you're going to point to data and say, well, you know, he was just 
you know, his, a part of the show was the conflict of him against the limitations of his nature and, you know, him trying to be more snarky and stuff. And so you had that undercurrent of that conflict. It takes conflict to drive a story, you know, otherwise you've got like maybe a poem or, you know, a, a descriptive paragraph. You really have to have some conflict and audiences today, you can't just have one conflict. You got to have 17 <laughs> different con conflicts between 28 different people whose allegiances switch 16 and a half times every chapter. So that otherwise, you know, it's, it's junk. I'm so not on a soapbox. Have you Sorry. ever read his uh, hero with a thousand faces? No. Um, you, you, you ought to check it out. You would enjoy it. It's an old book. It's been around for uh, a while. It's, uh, um, Joseph Campbell, uh, and he writes about the monomyth, how essentially all myths throughout all time are a single story. Um, I think you would enjoy it. So I am, I am so close to pulling, um, Amazon's like $10 a month, uh, unlimited book reading. Because, you know, like I went to the half price bookstore, which I I just love going to, and I bought a um, books I haven't read in a long time. This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness has one volume. And I was just like, okay, I just spent eight bucks on that. And that took me like three days to read. So 10 bucks a month, I could read three books and, you know, get my money. I'm so close. I'm just, you know, it's the cheapskate in me. I'm. I'm fighting. It's like, oh, I got to spend it. No, because, you know, I don't know. It's close. I'm I'm fighting it and I'm losing. All right. Moving on. Uh, Scott offers up a, a tip for the language nerds among us. Said, I just ordered a copy of The Adventure of English. Thank you for mentioning it. And I thought you might like the History of English podcast at historyofenglishpodcast.com. If I've mentioned this to you before, please give me a break. I'm, old, I'm an old geezer with faltering memory. I also have uh, two MP3 sets of files for the Beowulf Deconstructed and the History of the Alphabet, which you might enjoy from the same History of English people. Uh, I don't know if that means they've been archived and not available or, or I don't know if he was just offering that to me and I shouldn't have just read that to everybody, but, um, those are things to check out history of English podcast, Beowulf deconstructed and the history of the alphabet. Uh, those all sound like they would, uh, to make my inner nerd squee with joy. Miles, that was a conversation we had when you were here, when you were oh, off loafing, you know, there you go. see, I'm thinking someone's on an acid trip. <laughs> we 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 launched into much more lengthy than i had planned discussion about uh the about language the development of language and the history of, of english and and how it's uh far more than just uh communication it's power maybe well, go back and listen to the show that you weren't on let me ask you guys a question do you guys speak any other language than english i speak pieces of several languages uh i i took spanish I'm from Texas. That's a given uh, for a bunch of years. I, I would call myself functionally functionally fluent in Spanish. Because of that, I can follow along in a lot of the Romance languages. I'm trying to brute force myself, uh, teach myself Latin. Um, it's not going well. Um, I I do a little bit of American Sign Language. Uh, so you know, it's it's been a passing hobby of mine for a very long time. And me, no. I mean, I I tried to take Spanish in high school, and I earned. I earned hard that C, but uh, I learned more Spanish when I was a manager at a McDonald's than I ever <laughs> <laughs> learned in high school because I had to to communicate with That's them. Right. And, uh, you know, now I don't have to. So, no. And, you know, it's one of those I quote unquote wish 
I knew another language, but you know, I've had many oppor- many an opportunity to at least try to learn. And I, I still wish, you know, like I wish I were a millionaire or whatever, but I, I put about the same amount of work into each one. It seems. Yeah. I, w- a passing goal of mine, um, is to be able to read the Bible in the original Greek and Hebrew. Um, uh, that's going to be years in the making, but that's something I have been working for toward for a long time. Just because I think, you know, what nerd cred. Um, but it, what's interesting is, is because language is so much culture, you end up learning about a people uh, as you learn their language. Indeed. Um, communication to me is such an amazing thing. It, it literally is mind control. Y- using some some guttural utterances and and clicks and pops of my my mouth, I literally put my thoughts in your brain. Uh, that that is a that is a miracle of of human interaction that that we ignore and it's so commonplace we don't think about it. But I am right now at this very moment implanting my thoughts in your brain using nothing more than clicks and pops and groans. That's mind control, people. All right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Clearly, nobody else geeks out about this as much as I do. Um. So before we, since uh, uh we 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 don't want to to ruin precedent and actually do some news. Uh, that once Seth gathers it, uh, when he doesn't gather it, we we have space for it. Uh, but we are going to talk about a, a a story that Seth pulled from us. Um, and it's it's a it's a thought experiment, as I like to do. And I will let Seth introduce it because it was all his idea. Okay, so this is a story I came across on OS News, which is a pretty cool website. Um, the The topic is, which tech giant would you drop? And so they are quoting an article from the New York Times here that says, I'm going to read this first paragraph here. Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, and Alphabet, the parent company of Google, are not just the largest technology companies in the world. As I've argued repeatedly in my column, they are also becoming the most powerful companies of any kind, essentially inescapable for any consumer or business that wants to participate in the modern world. But which of the frightful five is most unavoidable? I ponder the question in my column this week. Um, what about you? If an evil monarch forced you to choose, in what order would you give up these inescapable giants of technology? G G. <laughs> so the question there is Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Microsoft. Uh, which of these uh, could you live without? Um, and, I, and I'm going to take Apple off the table because none of us use Apple products. No, oh, I do. Okay, yeah, that's right. You're a Mac guy. Well, kind of. Um, and so Seth, uh, you go first. I, I, well, actually, I'll will say the one thing I couldn't live without. I can't live without Amazon. Amazon has 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 changed my habits in such a way that I am dependent on them. I am uh, addicted to Amazon. So that one is is at the top of the list for me, and probably Google too. Uh, but Seth, what could you live without? I would give up Facebook before I gave up Apple. That's how much. I mean, because Apple does a lot. You know, they they make really nice technology. Um, I, I don't disagree with that. I just hate the draconian nature of their, it, you know, anyway. Uh, go back and listen to my previous rants about them. But Facebook is a company that I honestly despise. Um, and despise is probably the right word. I so hate that company and all of the crap it stands for. Um, I really wish my friends would quit using it 
you know, I, I it's just I hate them. I hate, hate, hate the company Facebook more than I dislike Apple. So, but yeah, I use I'm on I use Facebook to keep up with my friends, but and because I keep up with them, I don't have to talk to them. So I don't know, you know, it, it might force me to communicate with people but you know used to whenever you would see people at church or whatever you would say hey man how's your day or how's your week been and oh well you know so i did this or that i did whatever like a, a friend of mine at church they spent a week a week in oregon on vacation you know i don't need to ask them hey how was your vacation because i had a running update of it on facebook and so you know there's no point in getting to know the real person anymore because you can just look on facebook and see the highlights they created and want to share and it's just i it has made the world it has in i won't say it's made the world superficial but it has vastly um, increase the slope that the world is running down into superficiality. All right. So let um, me see if I understand your thesis properly here. Your your uh, uh, dissertation here is that by bringing us closer, uh, not closer, by linking us um, in superficial ways, Facebook is uh, ruining the capacity for deeper linkages. I think so. And not ruining the capacity, but it's like you don't have the chance. I mean, why would I talk to you and ask you how? And then I say, oh, well, what about you did so-and-so? What about you did so-and-so? It's like, you know, it's you put your highlights out there. And, of course, your what goes on inside your head never competes with the other people's highlights. And, yes, we're more connected, but we're also more superficial than ever. You know, you go back in time to where people didn't see each other all the time and couldn't instantly communicate letters used to be moving and powerful and now in the add generation you know if you can't say it in 140 characters it's not worth saying and nothing that's worth saying can be said really in 140 characters so i I also what are your thoughts on that well i i wrote down for each one of these you know trying to work out what i think was important whatever when i got to facebook here i'll tell you what i wrote don't use it at all don't care about it it's dead to me all that's right. it. I love you, man. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I I use Facebook a lot more since I moved away from Texas than I ever did in Texas because it's the way I keep up with my Texas friends. I would have little to no connection with these people at all were it not for Facebook. Um, sure, I could call up um, you know, once a week each of those people and have a, an hour-long conversation with them, but that's just not going to happen. I can keep tabs on you know, dozens, uh, hundreds really if I wanted to of acquaintances i i hesitate to use the word friends um but also uh, facebook is a for for me it is a conversation starter uh for example um i uh, this weekend in preparation for um the memorial day festivities at my house i built one of those uh yard block stacking games uh jenga um i, I built a giant uh, a giant yard stacking game Jenga, uh, <laughs> you're not supposed to say uh, things like that on a podcast, but anyway, um, uh, and I, I posted a picture of it on Facebook and it started a conversation. In fact, today, this morning when I went to church, uh, one of the guys who sit next to me in choir was asking me about how I made it, why I made it, why I chose that piece of wood, uh, you know, and so that, f- that Facebook post sparked a conversation in the real world. And that's, that's how I use Facebook personally. It is a, it is a touch point for deeper conversations 
uh, not just a substitute for deeper conversations. Well, you're in the minority. I mean, I agree in so many ways. I am in the minority and I'm okay with that most of the time. Yeah. And you know, the fact that I hate it is unfortunately why it's going to rule the world because it's, you know, <laughs> if you would just get on board with it, Seth, it would go away. You know, maybe I will just buy a Mac and integrate everything into my iCloud account and just drive them into the dirt. So I don't, but I don't know. Don't, I just, don't you, don't you have a sense that like Facebook is kind of the dumbing down of the internet? I mean, a lot of people I know who use Facebook think Facebook is the internet. That's like my mom. Do. She doesn't. Right. Facebook to her is the internet and is is texting. She was over at my house uh, a while back, and I was on my laptop doing I don't know what I was doing show prep, reading blog article. I have no idea. Uh, and she kept looking at me, typing away on my laptop, and looking at her phone, and looking at me, and looking at her phone, looking at me, like looking at her phone. And I finally realized she was waiting for the post to come up. She was watching my Facebook feed, waiting for the post I was typing to come up. And finally, she asked me, "What are you doing?" I said, what do you mean what am i doing i'm just you know browsing the internet well i haven't i'm you're not on facebook no i'm not did you know that facebook isn't the internet and she truly i mean she's 74 years old so she could be forgiven but she thinks facebook is the internet she doesn't realize that there's a world outside of facebook yeah yeah i don't know i i i I don't want to come across like I'm one of these tech elites because I don't really feel that way. I can't bring myself to use Facebook. It is beneath me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Now I am an elite, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how you could say I don't want to be an elite and then follow that with it is beneath me. <laughs> I know, but I did. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I, Bow before my presence. I am Lord Miles. <laughs> I am a Facebook lurker. I post very rarely, uh, you know, 10 or 12 times a year, seriously. Uh, and usually uh, I, I often use it as a um, storehouse of, of things I want to remember, touchstones. Uh, when, when my children, says something, uh, children say something uh, witty, I, I store it. Or when something funny happens, I put it there. And I'm trusting Facebook to store that. But Facebook isn't the only place I'm putting that also. Uh, but it's nice that, you know, the time hop, the memory feature comes up a couple years later. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was the time that when that thing happened with those people that did the stuff. Um, and, you know, I find it to be beneficial. Of course, I don't live on it. But I do get I, I understand your point that it's shallow and, and beneath you. I get that. And I used to feel that way. In fact, I was all in on Twitter way back when. And my Facebook feed was just a copy of my Twitter feed. And so everything was 140 characters. Uh, now I don't Twitter at all. Uh, that happened largely when I left the world of education. I found that that Twitter was my link to that world. And then I wasn't interested in that world anymore when I left it. Uh, I, I find it interesting that that's not on the, on the list here. Um, Twitter is still huge uh, along, uh, among the world. But apparently uh, Tom Hallerda, uh, Hallerda, <laughs> No, how to say his name didn't agree that it was a worthwhile thing um, well and to, like i say tom is the one who uh it's farhad manjo um Manju. is the person who wrote the article for the new york times and tom uh was reacting to it on os news okay so i i think it's just um you know one thing twitter i bet paid donald trump a lot of money because without donald trump twitter would be dead by now uh, but it used to be good until the way you 
like somebody's tweet now is you retweet it and so if you have a bunch of and you're supposed to follow people and then follow you back and you follow two friends and they follow two <laughs> friends and you create two false identities and they create two false identities and so the next thing you know you've got roughly 37.6 sextillion followers on twitter uh all retweeting everything you do and it just becomes a humongous echo chamber that does i mean there are so many ways where Twitter could be cool. A food truck, you know, tweeting out to its followers at the corner of Jackson and Fifth Street today. Everybody knows that's where they are. You know, there's so many ways it could be good, but whenever people use Twitter to post a you know, a blog entry, 140 characters at a time when Twitter decides the way they're going to is just, you know, inundate you with advertising tweets. It's just, it's worthless. Twitter is worthless and they're, they're not even worthy to be on the list because everybody recognizes how worthless Twitter, Twitter is. How do you really feel about it? Seth? <laughs> you know, really, I could kind of go either way between <laughs> it being worthless and it being of the devil. So I'm kind of sitting on the fence there. You, so, you know what's really interesting about this article, though, when he brings up like which one of these that you could do without. Um, if I sort of thought, yeah, well, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Which one of these could I do without? And so I went through like each one and said, "What do I really use this for?" And I was really surprised what came back. Like, okay, like Google, right? Let's take that for example. Everyone thinks of Google like as a search engine. No, it's so much more. It's so much more, right? Because I was it's, thinking, I don't, I don't need Google. I can use DuckDuckGo. Which That'll uses work. Google. Right, yeah. Well, okay. But I could use it as opposed to using Google. I don't want to live in a world where Bing is my only search engine. Oh, so. gosh. No, no. But then, see, I don't use Gmail. Most so links! Can, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't use Gmail, right? So I could lose that. And I don't use Docs because I could run LibreOffice or whatever. So I could lose that. And but I you do use Docs on, for the show, Miles. Well, yeah, I do. I do. But we could put that on. Yeah, I, I, we could find a way around it. I mean, if it went away tomorrow, we could survive, right? Um, I don't use Google Drive because I've got my own cloud server. And I don't rely on AdSense for money. So I don't need that. But I do watch a lot of YouTube. And I have an issue if that went away. But it's entertainment, right? So it's not going to stop me earning a living. But you know the funny thing? Here's the thing. Android, right? Google went away. Android go away. I, I use Android all the time. And I don't think I, I don't know. I, what, what would you use alternative to Android? An iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. Windows phone for the win. Cyanogen <laughs> mod? Me I don't go. know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. what If Android went away, what would we do? What, I, I don't know. It's... And the other thing, here's the thing that was really amazing to me. I use Google Voice a lot. Mm -hmm. I've got like servers that send SMS messages to Google Voice numbers to bing my phone and buzz my watch and whatever. And I do that because I can get them anywhere in the world. If that went away, I'd have to find like some international SIP provider and all that. So I don't think there is anything out there. So Google Voice, it'd be a reason why I couldn't get rid of Google. So I had to keep Google on the list. As much as I didn't want to, I have to keep Google on the list. Yeah, I mean, it's not that I couldn't live without Google, but I couldn't live the life as I do today without Google. Um, mm. I I am heavily invested invested in Google Apps, uh, Google Docs, Google, uh, Gmail, 
um, uh, Google Keep uh, is is my you know my repository of information. Um, Google Voice, as you said, Android, uh, all over the place. Um, there are other people, you know. Of course, Android is open source. It's not just Google, uh, but they are the primary developers, and then they release here. World is what we've developed. Other people could carry that on without Google. Um, and it would it would be fine, but it would be an adjustment. I would have to to root and rom my phone here because it could only be uh, right now. It could only uh, accept Android, uh, Google, Android. Um, so it would be an adjustment. I'd have to change a lot of things. Uh, could I live without Google? Sure. Would I want to? No. Um, I get a lot of value out of Google, as I've talked about many times before. I'm I'm all in on the um, submit yourself to a single ecosystem and reap the benefits of it. Um, so Google would be the most painful one. Microsoft um, professionally uh, would destroy me. Uh, my entire application on which I make a living is Microsoft. Um, and if it went away, uh, I, I would be out of a job. I mean, that, obviously the company for which I work and the software on which I work uh, would have to pivot as well, but it would be a very painful transition. So Microsoft and Google are probably the two most that I couldn't do without. I joked that I couldn't live without Amazon. I can. I mean, I can actually go out and shop, and that would be fine. Um, but uh, I certainly enjoy the convenience of Amazon. But uh, of of the list, the two things that I just feel that I could not do without are Google and Microsoft. Um, Apple and Amazon and Facebook, I, I would be fine. Uh, but those two would be very painful for me to to do without. And and I, I admit that in both cases, I am supporting things I don't like. You have to take the good with the bad. And Microsoft does stuff I don't like. Google does stuff I don't like. And I, I have to I don't endorse it, condone it, hold my nose. I don't know what I have to do. But in order to get the stuff I, I need and, and want, I do have to compromise my principles in some areas. I so isn't that, wanted to say, isn't sorry, that funny? Ahead. Because whenever you originally chose them... You didn't have to compromise your principles, but now as they've rolled out more and more stuff and made their grip tighter and tighter on you, you're finding, I don't like these other things they're doing, but I still like these. And so I have to keep with them. Right. So, you know. Yeah. I, I so wanted to say I could do without Microsoft and I spent some time thinking, how can I do without Microsoft? For years, I've been trying to do without Microsoft. I mean, I converted everything to Linux on my desktop, on my servers, everything. My phone is Android. It's like this, I hate Microsoft statement. But I can't say I could ever get away from Microsoft. And it's not because of Microsoft. I'd love to think of Microsoft as Clippy in the Office documents. You know, I don't need it. I don't want it. Go away. But, I mean, I run QuickBooks for my business. I can't run that on anything else. And some of my programming work has to run on Microsoft uh, technologies. And I can't get away with it. I can't run it in Wine on, on, Win on Linux because um, it doesn't work. And the online versions of all this sort of stuff just suck. So I'm kind of stuck having to – I'm like reluctantly saying I can't live without Microsoft. Kill me, please. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, you know, if Microsoft went away, my credentials that get me interviews, you know, 
all of a sudden, all of my Microsoft certifications would not exist, and I would have a couple of entry level certs from CompTIA, and that would be all. And um, so I'm, I'm like you, you know, I, I went, I went to the New York Times article, and as much as I'm an outlier, I picked the order I would want to get rid of them in the same order everybody else did. So 56% of the readers chose Facebook first. 14% of the readers chose Apple second, 32% chose Amazon third, 27% chose Alphabet fourth, well, and 11% chose Microsoft last. So never mind. That's just um, my, never Okay. Sorry. Brain fart. <laughs> that's, that's about, that's about aligned with what I came up with. Why do we all think the same? What's up with that? It's not yeah. an accident. I mean, these companies have worked hard to to foster that. Yeah. And, and we're all in different areas, but I mean, we're all kind of geeky. We make our lives in the IT world. And, you know, as much as we talk about it's the year of the Linux desktop and, you know, Android rules the world, you know, Microsoft is still the bread and butter of corporate America. <laughs> Yeah, so I gotta, the, I'm going to go shower now. <laughs> in in the New York Times article, the the response is uh, f- Facebook by 50 percent people said they can live without that. Um, uh, by 38 percent, Alphabet, Google, and all of their offerings, 38 percent said they can't live without that. Um, and interestingly, Apple uh, only 10 percent said that they would drop Apple, and 34 percent said that they couldn't live without Apple. Um, I think that's a very biased sample um, in the New York Times, frankly. But uh, I but, think that's more of the the snobbery of the New York Times. The, if you do the Venn diagram, there's a big overlap between the snobbery of Apple. And so right. it's biased based on who this article reaches, exactly. not on any uh, liberal hipsters. Right. Yep. And for a lot of people, iPhone means phone. You know that they those are synonymous. You 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 have an iPhone, you have a phone. They 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 don't know uh, the difference. And um, Apple has done a great job of of making uh, that uh, connection. They were never able to say uh, uh, Apple equals equals computer, but they have been able to say iPhone equals phone. Um, and the the rest of the world uh, think you know Android, but they don't even know Android. They don't know that word. Um, they they know that I got a you know a smartphone I got a thing I got whatever my vendor did they don't necessarily know the word Android in fact I talk to people who run Android phones on a regular basis and I say is that an Android phone I don't know it's Samsung um, they don't know that that it's because it's they they know Samsung they know uh, HTC they know um, you know uh, Blue uh, which is a big uh, vendor of cheap phones. Um, but iPhone, Apple has done a good job of saying the iPhone is the thing. The OS is just happens to be the OS that iPhone runs. Um, good marketing, good work there, and that's why thirty eight percent of of New York Times resp- respondents said, or thirty four percent said, they can't live without Apple. First against yeah. the wall when the revolution comes. <laughs> uh, probably. Uh, but man, they're they're if if Apple creates their evolution, their their robots will be so glossy and pretty and shiny, uh, they'll be lickable. 
Yeah, but that that tells you that they wouldn't be the ones to create it because they're not ever the first to anything. So somebody else would do the revolution and then Apple would say, let's change the color on that and let's make it a glossy coat and then we'll own the revolution. And people go, oh my God, because, you know, that's... (laughs) That's how much intelligence people have whenever they see that retarded apple that was bitten once. And and is maybe um, Google and Microsoft. Microsoft has always been happy being infrastructure. They've never gone really for sexy. It's not been a goal for them. And clearly, as the fact that all three of us have just said that our lives would be significantly Im- impacted by the loss of Microsoft, that's a winning strategy. Um, infrastructure isn't sexy. But everybody has to have it. But, but it's not Microsoft. It's the apps that run on Microsoft. Right. That's they because they're on, infrastructure. Right. If they ran on Linux, I wouldn't need Microsoft and they can go away quietly. It'll be fine. But, I mean, there have been designed decisions made for the last 30 years to make sure that their stuff doesn't work anywhere else. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I'm t- tethered to Microsoft by a noose around my neck. Right. And you'd, you'd like to, but as I, like, like I started the show saying, um, there are some cases, you know, you're saying you can't do it. You can, you just don't want to do what it would take to get away from it. You would lose, you would lose productivity. You would lose probably, uh, of, of ease of use. It would, it would negatively impact you so greatly that you're willing to have that noose around your neck, then do what it takes to be without it. That is correct, sir. And that's that's the same way I am. I, I, I use Microsoft uh, in my production studio because the pain of not using Microsoft is so great that it, I, I just choose to do it. Um, anyway, have we beaten this horse? Is it well and truly dead? Yeah, it might not be glue yet, but it's it's pretty much dead. Okay. But a very interesting conversation, Seth. Good one for bringing it up. It's really oh, good. Thank you. All right, now let's look at a little bit of of, uh, of news. It, it, as we've just talked about, uh, we are somewhat dependent on Google. Android uh, or Google is aware of that, and uh, they're starting to say, um, you know, they're starting to throw some teeth into that, uh, particularly in this case with Netflix, but other things are going to be coming, I think. Yes, Android developers can now block rooted devices, and Netflix is like the first one to, to do that. So if you're somebody who roots your own device so you can sideload apps or whatever, now, and this is only in Google Play, so they have the option to block um, their apps from working on your devices. And, you know, the the underlying thrust of this article is what starts in google play ends up in android and then you won't be able to add any of these apps if you root and it'll be baked into android itself and so it's one of those things you know do no evil they're they're taking down that whiteboard that says until we own the world now you know it's you just see the until part and you're like wait a minute but we're so far ingrained you know certain members among us have surrendered our higher brain functions to google and android that now we're like uh it's not it's too much pain to move so i guess i'm just not going to root my phone anymore um at least that's what they're hoping we'll see how well it plays out yeah so it's not it's not been uh it has been possible for a while to detect root and to not work uh i've had a couple of apps uh banking apps i can't remember which one in particular but there was a there was a a banking app of some sort a a financial app that simply refused to work on my phone because it was rooted just said no 
um, and also the Intrust uh, Secure Token app um, that lots of people use uh, for generating random numbers for third party uh, uh, second factor authentication um, will not work. Uh, and I need that for work. I, I have to have that for work. I cannot do my job without that app and it will not work on a rooted device. Therefore, uh, I gave up rooting um, rather than, you know, have a second phone that wasn't rooted or something like that. So that's been around for a while. This new thing is that it won't even show up in the Play Store. When you search it, when you try to install it, it just won't be there because Google Play will know that your phone has been rooted. Um, and that uh, that is new. Um, and it's, it's bad news for this entire, uh, ecosystem of third, third party ROMs out there, uh, that it, it really is. And it's not Google doing it. They're just offering the infrastructure. They're, they're putting the plumbing in place. And, uh, you know, Netflix wants to do that because, uh, there's a, a possibility that on a rooted device, you could copy that stream and, uh, make a copy of the movie as you watch it. And I get their business reason. It's probably not even Netflix that wants it. It's their their uh, their their stakeholders, the the uh, license holders of all these people that have Netflix uh, uh, licenses. I'm sure they're the ones driving this. The MPI, uh, MPAA, for example. And I don't think what I from what I know of the Netflix company that they care all that much. But they're getting pressure, and now they're moving that pressure down the line. Uh, to the point where if you if you own your device rather than your device owning you, you're out of luck. Are we returning to the world of walled gardens here? I don't think we're returning to. I think the world has uh, the that Microsoft and Google and Android have always wanted us to be there. They're just walling up that garden a little better. Yeah, they're yeah. just closing some of the um, the passageways between the walls, but the walls have been there, and the walls are getting higher. So yeah. I mean, I remember the days back in, and I don't know what version of Android it was. I think it might be three or four, where they did not allow you to run a VPN on your phone. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't connect to a VPN service. And the only way you could do with that was to install uh, software that required your phone to be rooted. And that was just a problem because, you know, business people need access to VPNs. They just do. It's for privacy and it's what their IT departments require them to do it. Um, I mean, thankfully, they built that into later versions of Android. I think it was five or six or so on that we could do that without needing to root the device. But I just would hate to see this as being, you know, it's one thing to say, look, we don't want bad malware to take over your device and start spewing out, you know, uh, spam or whatever it is to the rest of the world. But then it's very easy for them to be able to manipulate that and to say, we know we need to build this thing, but we're too lazy. We don't want to do it. And by the way, you can't use it. Yeah. And, and that scares me. I remember now what the uh, financial app was. It was Android Pay that lets you, you know, tap your phone and, and pay for something. It would not install on a rooted phone. So I had to unroot my phone, install Android Pay, reroute my phone. And so that's a... I, I, I'm sure that they're all about trying to, they're selling this in terms anyway, of trying to protect the end user. I'm honestly not sure what the real reason for it is. Well, you know, I mean, you, you could um, put on your tinfoil visor slash um, conspiracy hat and realize that, you know, Google is developing a different OS that they own. And so maybe this is step 
17 because we've missed the first 16 to make it a smooth transition between Android and whatever it's going to be. I mean, I'm not saying that is, but it's just, you know, they're going for more control because they look at the Apple ecosystem and look at how much control Apple has and how much, you know, their fanboys love them. And they think, hey, we can be more like Apple. I hope that's not the case, but I, I'm having a hard time refuting that. Mm. Feels that way. All right, moving on. Um, good news and bad news. Um, uh, the patent trolls cannot t- take their case to East Texas anymore. Yes, this is a result of um, craft. Uh, hold on, let me find the. I had it here. And TC my- Heartland LLC and its battle against food company Kraft Heinz Company. Yes, and so they the ruling of this case says that now in order to sue someone, you have to sue them in the you have to sue the target company in the jurisdiction in which they are incorporated. So most places aren't incorporated in rural northeast Texas, so therefore that district court is not going to be getting all the patent cases anymore and there will go to somebody who takes the time. I mean, like I'm I'm sorry guys, I'm from East Texas and I apologize for the idiots who get impaneled in those juries but you know they're going to go somewhere and have a better chance of getting a fair deal and not just you know we hate patent holders that has been the part and parcel of uh, the east texas litigation landscape of course it's pretty easy to change where you're incorporated so they'll just be incorporating in texas no no because the people who are filing against you are the patent trolls and they file against you in East, Te- East Texas. Okay, so basically right. nobody's going to be in East, East Texas. Texas. Yes. And everybody who has so, is probably going to move. Okay. So just let me understand this. The case has to be heard in the defendant's jurisdiction or the yes. plaintiff's jurisdiction. The, the defendant's. Yes. Right. This is very, very bad. I'll tell you why. If the defendant is a company out of the UK and the plaintiff is a company in the U.S., does that mean that the U.S. now has to travel to the U.K. and raise the legal case in the jurisdiction of the defendant, i.e. the U.K.? So now they're paying for twice the number of lawyers. This is not a good thing for patent law. This is like taking the pendulum and swinging it exactly all to the extreme opposite side. But on the on the flip side of that, you have a one or two man development shop who live in Delaware and are incorporated in Delaware, and they have to put their business on hold and fly down to East Texas with lawyers who are familiar with East Texas law, making it easier to settle with the patent trolls. So, you know, I mean, it it might not be bad, but I doubt it's going to be equal bad as to how it has been. So in most places selling America, aren't they, aren't they somewhere incorporated somewhere in America to do business? Yeah, most no. places do have some sort of of corporate headquarters, uh, but, but, but that's but, not that's the same thing as being incorporated in that area. But but let's say okay, so I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say, um, all right, Apple. I hate to use an example, but I want to copy an iPhone. And I'm going to copy everything about the iPhone. I'm going to copy the gestures. I'm going to copy the screen, the icons, everything there is to know about the Apple iPhone. And I'm violating 100 patents. 
but I'm a Chinese company in, in Shenzhen, China, and I have nothing in the US. I'm just going to make these devices and sell them to the Chinese in my local region. So Apple has to sue me in my hometown in China where well, I Miles, control the, the court. Th- here's where that doesn't play. This is only a US ruling. Um, you're not, you would not be suing that company in the U S anyway. Um, they're not, you know, you're, you're at that point suing them on, on whatever the laws are. Cause if they're a Chinese company, they're not responsible to American laws. Well, they're supposed to be still able to, I, I, well, I, look, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't, you, you're probably right. I'm just thinking this is a way that any entity that's outside of the reach of the United States legal system is given basically carte blanche to do bad stuff. Well, that's the whole reason international agreements exist, and and you know the for years now the response to that uh, from a corporate uh, governmental level is tariffs. You know, if a company in China is misbehaving badly enough, the U.S. will impose a tariff on whatever that company sells. Um, you know, and you're getting in a whole whole much murkier waters in which the U.S. Supreme Court don't have jurisdiction. Uh, so let's let's assume. That everything here, you're only talking about things within the the, the legal bounds of the American uh, jurisprudence system, and not international law, because the U.S. Supreme Court can't decide what happens in China. So yeah, that would anybody, be World Trade Commission, right? Or anybody who's a lawyer who knows anything about this, contact us and tell us the legal thing about this and why it's good and bad in your opinion, because I'd love to hear that. And I haven't got $350 an hour to talk to my lawyer about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And uh, just to make the the creepy gap go a little farther, Google is now tracking what you do offline as well as what you do online. Yes. And this is, um, you know, it's one of those, they've probably already been doing it. They just announced it. But now they're going to start tracking your offline shopping, what you buy at a store in person. And they're going to... Um, correlate that with ads that you click on and the reasoning behind it is they can show hey this person clicked on 17 ads for leaf blowers and then he went down to sears and bought the craftsman you know um water blow 750 so (laughs) see our advertising works so uh give us more money for ads be and the way they're able to do that is because they are able you know they're already the largest um advertising online advertising company but they through their partners they have access to roughly 70 percent of u.s credit and debit card transactions through partnerships now supposedly they're not able to see the data. They're just able to like get the correlations, which I find to be kind of, uh, you know, how are you going to be able to correlate it if you can't, you know, see where it is. But of course, if you were to go and pay in cash, they would have no way to track that. At least none that they're admitting. No, that's just conspiracy talk. So anyway, it's just, it's kind of, um, it's kind of creepy. And, you know, I know, Mark, you personally would love this because you have fallen in love with all things Google voice related. And um, but I just think it's creepy. And again, that's why it's going to work. Sorry, world. I don't love it, but I'm not afraid of it either. Um, I recognize that when I choose the convenience of a credit card transaction or a debit card, in my case, I very rarely ever use a credit card. um, uh, I have 
given something up to get that convenience. I've given up an anonymity. My bank is tracking me. Um, the the transaction system, you know, the uh, those systems are all pretty much linked. And if I use my credit, my debit card three times in a single day, everybody in the country has access to that data. And in theory, it's it's anonymized. It's it's uh, you know uh, shopper number two five seven three four eight six one clicked on this ad and purchased this thing within a, a seventy two hour period of of each other. And I think that you know overall that's going to be beneficial. People are going to start uh, spending more money on digital ads if they can see that they actually work. As a co- as a person who runs a company supported by digital ads, I'm kind of okay with that. Um, but you know, as you said, there's always a way around it. Cash, cash trumps all. Um, and, uh, but it's a, it's a choice. Like we've said earlier, you, you give up, uh, privacy, you give up certain things. You, you're, it's a transaction that you make when you choose convenience. Um, I love Android pay in the six stores I ever go to in my life that it works. It's super convenient. I tap my phone. I walk away. I understand that I've opened myself up to an entire world of tracking there, uh, but it's a choice that I've made. Um, I choose to accept the the price of, of that convenience. And so, yeah, I'm not scared about it, but yeah, it's creepy. I give you that. Yeah, it's, I, you know, I just don't like it. I, I'm just a private guy. And, you know, more, more so than being afraid of it, I just don't want it. And so I, I fully expect there'll come a time when minority report style, you'll be walking down the aisle of a store and the store will speak to you personally. Um, I don't know that it'll be retina reading like it was in that movie. I think it'll be your phone, Uh, right? There'll be a Bluetooth sensor, uh, in, you know, every, uh, six or eight feet of the aisle. It'll know where you are and it'll say, Hey, um, your wife's low on tampons. Would you like to pick some up while you're here? Um, I don't think there's any way to avoid that future. That is the way things are going. Uh, so you can either, you know, rail against the night or you can try to extract some value from it. It's wrong. I, I, <laughs> I'm with there's Seth no way to stop it. Adding on this. Yeah. I think it's the, just wrong. I mean, I don't want somebody trying to extract money out of my wallet and I don't want somebody trying to con me into giving them money out of my wallet and I don't need to buy those tampons. So at the end of the day, don't bother me. Leave me alone. I'll tell you what I want when I want it. Tell you what you want, what you really, really want. There you go. So so what's going to happen is you're going to go into one of those Amazon stores that, you know, track your uh, phone and then they know how much and all of that. And it's not going to work, but through no fault of your own. And just because for whatever reason, you know, there was a problem with the network, the Bluetooth sensor went down or whatever. And so there's no way to record that you actually bought that, even though in good faith you followed the principles to do it. At that point, you have committed theft and are a criminal because you walked out without paying through no fault of your own. How does that get resolved? And I know that is only tangentially involved with this story, but that's the world we're headed to that you say, and I believe that that will come a time. So what happens whenever I, in good faith, did the requirements to purchase, but through no fault of my own, I didn't purchase, I have stolen you know, $7,000 worth of merchandise because it was a wine party to celebrate my big promotion at work. Yeah. It's everything gets more evil little by little. Oh, I know convenience. Convenience can be the, the, the worst excuse for letting evil 
continue and yeah. perpetuate, right? And well, we no, it's for the children. Are, That's the worst excuse. What, <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you got to call things what they are. And what thing does not appear to be evil, when you just peel it back just a little bit, you realize, oh, my God, I'm entrapped and I can't get out. And now that's not a good place. And so but, I don't um, know. I, I, would, I would rally against this. That's I'm me. interested in your thoughts to my hypothetical situation. Uh, well, the, it seems to me that in a situation like that, there would be confirmation of your purchase before you leave the store. And so it's up to you to make sure that confirmation happens. Um, and if you, if you leave the store with merchandise without confirmation of purchase, you have stolen. Um, so you can't really say it's no fault of your own if you left without that piece of information. Hmm. I mean, when I when I pay with my Android phone, I get the little green check mark that says approve. That means I'm not stealing. Um, there's in every system, there's going to be some sort of notification that says funds have been been received or transmitted. Um, what's interesting is, you know, when you tie in like, uh, digital currencies like Bitcoin, where that, uh, uh, transaction can take a while and even can be reversed, uh, that adds a whole new wrinkle, uh, when we get into this sort of thing. But I think that I don't, I don't mean to be, uh, you know, a, a Debbie Downer here. I think you guys are just on the losing end of history. Um, I, and I admit that I've lost, you know, and we've cool. lost, I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> I, I, I'll back the wrong side. I should have took one for the team. But no, I, I understand that. I, it doesn't mean I have to like it, you know. But for now, for the foreseeable future, you know, for for your lifetime, I'm willing to go that far. Uh, for your lifetime, Seth, cash will always be available, and you can just walk around with a Vinny wad and and not have a problem. Just roll off one hundreds as you need them, uh, and it's not going to be a big deal. I hope so. And I'm not leaving the, the house. Is that simple? <laughs> well, and you won't have to because you have a basement full of canned goods and firearms. Yeah. So you'll be good. <laughs> and CCTV cameras all the way around the perimeter. Try it, people. So were you a loony before you moved to Arizona or did it, did moving out there make you a loony? I just found my people out here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, I wonder if you could build a wall of claymores, you know, could you just actually embed those into the wall? Like like instead of bricks, you know, your outer structure is claymore mines, making sure they're facing moat. the right direction. I want a moat with alligators in it. That's you better be I darn want. sure that you're not mowing a lawn and throw a rock into that wall, though, Seth. <laughs> that's true. All right, that's it. Those are our news stories and our discussion for the week. So, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, so on May the 25th, 1994, the first International World Wide Web Conference. CERN hosted the first International World Wide Web Conference, which continued through May 27th. At the conference, researchers expanded on Tim Berner-Lee's concept of a single storage facility for a variety of information, a design that would greatly aid his researchers when he previously had to use a number of different programs and locations to collect what he needed. While participants understood the usefulness of Berner-Lee's concept and hypertext markup language, few guessed how quickly the web would expand to millions of users globally. And that happened this week in history, Mark. So 23 years ago, the web was born. Yeah. The and first today, today it is the foundation of society. Pretty much. Even people who don't use the web somewhere 
it, you know, and of course, okay, there, there's some rural African village or Indian village, but even in America, if you go off grid, the store you went to to buy those goods bought them from somewhere who tracks that information in some type of relational database, or maybe they're progressive and use a blockchain um, that, you know, very, very rarely is there some commerce that is not tracked back to the web. Yeah, the so, web's become a platform. It's no longer the web. It's a platform in which it's like a desktop. It's like right. people write software for it. It's yep. infrastructure, yeah. So I may have to go back and rescind my previous statement. If that much change can happen in 23 years, maybe cash will be gone by the time uh, you're still alive, Seth. Well, I'll barter something, you know. <laughs> You'll be the guy on the street corner. We'll code for food. No, I'll, I'll let somebody stay in my rent house and they have to buy the crap for me. So There you go. All right. Good stuff, folks. Um I, I'm going to go ahead and say it uh, because, you know, it's part of the show anyway. But uh, rem- as a reminder, we're not going to be here live for the next month, for the month of June. Um, this will, I believe, release on May 31st. For the month of June, we are taking that month off. We have pre-recorded four shows. You will not list- miss any shows. We will be bringing you content every Wednesday as expected. But uh, I say that to say, if you go to contact, uh, go to elementop.com and click the Contact Us button and leave uh, a, a response, we won't get back to you for a month. Um, that should not dissuade you from doing it. Miles asks some questions here. Uh, what, uh, any, those of you who are knowledgeable in international law, uh, we need your help there. Those of you who are afraid of the future, um, we need, Seth needs, uh, partners to know, uh, where he can go and, and commiserate, uh, when the world crashes down around him. So go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest captcha, fill out the form, um, or, uh, d- dial five, five, nine, am uh, leave us a voicemail or send an email to, uh, geekrant at elementopi.com. All of those things are ways that you can contact us. Just know that it's going to be a while before you hear back from us. We all need a vacation people. That's right. And I'm hoping that our first episode back will be a listener feedback episode. From that would be the, awesome if we yeah. had a bunch of, of pent up uh, feedback to do. Yes. Cool. That's my goal. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity for the next month so that you look like a better hiring option? Okay. This is, um, this is a YouTube channel. Um, Pete Holmes is his name. And it's a little series he did called Street Fighter Red Tape. And he is basically like this uh, bean counter accountant. And like th- the first one is Ryu, is Mark, uh, Mark Paul Gossmer is Ryu. And then so he's telling him like words he can say and stuff. And then there's like Ken and Bison and Dalasim and Chun Li and Guile and Blanca. And they're just, they're, if you wasted as much of your life playing Street Fighter 2 um, as I did, you will find these very enjoyable. So um, anyway, enjoy. They're only a few minutes each, like three, four minutes each. I think they're funny, and hopefully you will enjoy them. I don't really know if this will um, lower your productivity unless, you know, it reminds you of how awesome Street Fighter 2 is and you stay up all night playing Street Fighter and are late whenever you were supposed to be in the boardroom presenting something. That might work. But this is just mainly enjoy and laugh a little bit and have a good summer, everyone. See you in July. (laughs) Sorry again. Uh I uh uh saw a, a series of uh X Men stuff he did a while back. 
that was absolutely hilarious. He came in, uh, he was dressed as Professor Xavier, and he fired Wolverine. And he was like, look, your whole body is made of metal. Our main enemy is a guy who can control metal. You're absolutely useless. You're fired. And <laughs> the guy was like, well, what do you mean? I can go, Rah! yeah, you're, you're fired. You're useless. Um, <laughs> and it was, there was a series of him firing useless X-Men, like uh, Jubilee. Why does she even exist? Why is she even a thing? Yeah, I'm uh, going to, that's on my list to watch because I saw those in the, like the, you know, the little thing down the left-hand side or right-hand side. Fun stuff. Uh, I don't know who Pete Holm is, uh, but he does funny YouTube stuff. I don't know if he has a TV show or what. No, he is, though, I believe he is YouTube famous. So he is, you know, like millions of views on multi videos he's put out. So, you know, the kids today and their YouTubes. I'm I'm so far behind. (laughs) All right, folks, thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you in a month. Uh, I guess I don't have anything else to say other than pay for what you like. Bye, Toodaloo. Have a great summer.